this week's episode of my podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins, Editor-in-Chief here at the Outset Network. Thank you for joining me this week. Um, This is the show where I speak to young leaders, emerging leaders on the right about uh, how they got involved in politics, what they have done, uh, and what they plan on doing. And this week, I have an episode for you, an interview for you that is essentially a follow-up from the episode that happened last week. So stop what you're doing if you haven't listened to last week's episode, which was much shorter, uh, under 10 minutes, about running for local office. Go and listen to that first so you have uh, kind of a, a, a precursor for this episode. But this week, I'm speaking with Jake Leahy. Now, Jake Leahy is an 18-year-old from Illinois and he is the member of a school board, one of the members of a local school board. He actually started running for that position when he was just 17 years old. Uh, and again, he's in a small town in Illinois, but he decided that he wanted to make a difference. And instead of just complaining about things, he would actually run for office. One of the many things that I motivate people to do last week's, uh, with last week's episode is to do just that. So we talk about how he got started, what motivated him, um, and some other assorted topics. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Jake Leahy. Jake, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me on here today. Absolutely. So this show is intended to be kind of a follow-up of an episode we did last week. Um, For those listening, if you haven't listened last week, Uh, It was essentially a motivation to run for political office because um, it's something that I think more young people need to get involved with. And Jake, you're someone who has done it uh, and you survived to tell the story. So I want to talk a little bit about you and your background and and what kind of led you up to that moment and then go into your position, what the campaign looked like uh, and all that good stuff. So. My first question is, you're from Illinois originally, correct? Yes, yes. Where were you raised? Born and raised here. Um, So I was born in Chicago. Um, I lived there for my first three years in the city proper. Um, And then my family and I moved out um, to the suburbs. I'm in Deerfield. Technically, I'm unincorporated, but Deerfield High School is where I go. Um, So that's I've been raised here since I was about three years old. Um, I went to Bannockburn School, too, which is kindergarten through eighth grade, which is what I serve on the board of now. Um, so I really, so I was really raised in this area here, which is Deerfield Bannockburn, that type of, it's a close knit, um, suburban community, pretty, um, pretty standard. So that's, uh, that's where I was raised and that's where, um, I have been just about my whole life. Awesome. And tell me about your parents. Were they political or how did you kind of get interested in politics? Was it through them or was it from some other source? Yeah. Um, that's one question which I obviously get all the time because um, my parents, they are involved and they pay attention, I guess, but they, they aren't particularly overly political. Like they've never run for anything themselves. Like, see, actually, my dad was a precinct committee man for like two years. So I guess technically he did run and got five petitions. But, um, but so the, really it part of it was from them. We'd have um, around the dinner table and stuff like that. We'd have conversations about what was going on. So I remember when, even in 2008 when Obama was running, I was nine years old, Obama first McCain. I remember um, I was rooting for John McCain, and I was the only kid in my class like, go John McCain. Um, but so that was um, – so I've always been involved in that sense. Um, since then, I think what really got me more involved was I think around 2010 or 2011, 
um, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I signed up for the email list of Rand Paul and for Marco Rubio. Um, and I really uh, was inspired and was engaged by both of them and the what they'd say in there. And I really, that brought me much closer to the political process and really got me involved. So those were really the two people that I'd say that signing up for those and reading about them really is what um, got me even more involved going to the 2012 election and obviously beyond that. So what was your first uh, what was your first step in the in political involvement? Were you an activist for a campaign or did you block walk and, and phone call or what, what did that look like? Yeah, so um, interestingly, I actually didn't get involved. This last election cycle was my first um, my first one is I got involved around April of 2015. It would have been so after the November election with Dold for Congress, who um, who used to be my congressman. And this was one of the closest races in the country. Um, he was originally elected in 2010. He lost in 2012 to Brad Schneider. 2014, they went out again, and Dold beat Schneider. Then 2016, Schneider beat Dold. Uh, so it's one of the closest races in the country. The district um, that I'm in is D plus eight. Um, and the fact that Dold lost by 2% in a district where Trump got 29%, kind of shows um, how tight it was and how much it was really about the candidates here. So that's so how I got involved. I was just an intern. I went, I knocked on doors, to, went in parades, just standard stuff like that. And that's how I got involved in it all, really built off of that. And I always say that, that was really, I think, a really great experience for me because it began just a couple months after the previous election. So there wasn't much of a – there weren't that many interns. There were maybe half a dozen of us, and I was, really got to know the staff, and I got to know – um, the congressman, all that really well. Whereas if I would have started right before the election, like the one in November, if I would have started in April that year, there's hundreds of interns and it would have been a completely different environment. What do you think just in general about getting involved on the local level? It seems to me that a lot of people, uh, they they assume that it's not going to be fun or that it's not going to be interesting because it's local politics or, it, you know, it, it's it's a small group of people in the campaign office, perhaps. What was that experience like beyond just being able to get those deeper connections? Yeah, so the thing is that people do say, the saying goes that all politics is local, and that's absolutely true. Um, what I saw with Gold for Congress to start was it was really how true that is and how it was so important that um, that Congressman Gold would go to these, uh, he'd go to town halls, he'd go to different neighborhoods, different communities that don't always necessarily feel represented. Um, so I had a it was awesome to be able to play a role in that. And um, part of what I did for part of the time, I did a lot of different things with them. So I was there for a while. Um, like I would help with the schedule, figure out events he should be going to and stuff like that, that might be missed. Um, and realizing that when you have your representative from Washington going to talk to people to really get their opinion and their insight, that's really important to see um, these people have that. And that really, because they don't always feel engaged. They don't always feel connected. Um, and that's really important, too. That's part of what um, what I realized running myself when I would go door to door is these people aren't used to having somebody who's running for school board knock on their door and ask what they think can be improved and all that. And so that's why this really is important. And the thing about local politics outside of Washington, outside of um, Springfield, which is obviously the capital of Illinois or any state legislator or anything like that, is that when you're on a school board, when you're on a city council, something like that, you really do have a great opportunity uh, to make a big difference in people's lives. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, 
when we look at just last month at the school board meeting, we were talking about changing the schedule. It's an elementary school district to be more reflective of the schedule at the high school because it makes it a lot easier for families who have one kid at the elementary school and one kid at the high school. Just minor things like that that actually has a big impact on people's lives. But it doesn't matter if somebody's a Republican or a Democrat, conservative, progressive, libertarian. It doesn't make a difference. It's just about common sense making the schedule fit. And it's really making a difference in people's lives in a way which otherwise um, wouldn't happen. Absolutely. So I, I read that you first kind of had the idea of running for school board when you were in middle school. Um, wh what motivated you to run? Was it, was it truly something happened in middle school and that was the spark or what was that? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that actually. Um, so first of all, when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, I would come home. I think it was probably fifth grade. I would come home and I'd, I'd complain to my dad about the school board because I, I don't know any specific decisions that they made, but they'd do things and the teachers would say, oh, this we're doing this just because the school board said we had to, right? And I'd be like, I don't even know who the people on this board are, right? It was just kind of one of those things where I didn't really understand it and I'd come home. That's why my dad thinks it's so funny that I did decide to run and that I'm, that I'm on it now because I would do that. And it's just – and I always said, I want to be on that one day, kind of jokingly, but – Obviously, that would end up being true. Um, and so then there's a couple of things that later made me decide to do that. Um, one thing that I've done the last two years is um, I helped to start a it's a, an alumni versus staff basketball game that happens every year now that we raise money for charity. Just bring the kids from the high school back to Bannockburn um, and go get their old teachers in the game of basketball to raise money. Um, it's just... It was something because that I started because it used to be that the eighth grade used to play the teachers, and then my year they stopped. So I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to play against them. Um, so the last two years, um, I started that, and that was kind of I saw how it's a really simple thing and idea. It really wasn't that complicated, but it really was able to bring the community together, and it was a great event for all the kids at the school love it, and the kids at the high school love being able to go back. Um, and just things like that that are not um, – that weren't controversial at all. They weren't that difficult, but just because I had to think about it and take initiative to do that. So that's a, that's um, actually one reason why I did decide to run, just because I realized that there's an impact that could be made um, made in that way. And then also, if you look at so two other things, so there's a lot of different factors that were at play. Um, but then also you look at it at the high school I'm at. They just had this huge referendum. I think two years ago, maybe two years ago, I think. Maybe it was four years ago. Something, a couple years back. But so now the construction's getting finished for that. They have a library, they have a pool in there. And I contacted the contact for the referendum questions a while ago. Um, and there was, I was wondering how much it costs for these projects because everybody's talking about how great it is. I want to know how much it actually costs. Is this a $300,000 library or is this a $3 million library? I have no idea. Um, and so I got a response that was like, oh, the um, accounting procedures aren't done by project. So we actually aren't sure how much it was. Um, but it was all in the meeting minutes. It was voted on, so you can look there. So they sent me a link to the meeting minutes. Not the ones it was voted on, but uh, segmented by year, which was obviously 2016, 15, 14, 15, et cetera. Um, and then it goes by month, and then you have each meeting in the month, and it's just the, the transparency was really lacking. Um, and so that was a different district. I don't think it's that much of an issue. The transparency isn't too bad at Bannockburn. 
Um, but I realized that really having somebody on the board, on any board, who's really championing communication and transparency and really trying to create that dialogue can really make a big impact um, at any any school, any level of government or anything um, along those lines. And then finally, this long-winded response to that question good. Um, was really, you, if you, I don't know how much you know about what's going on um, in Illinois and in Illinois politics. I know um, most people probably don't follow it too closely, but you might have heard, obviously, certain things. Like we haven't had a budget in two years. I know who your um, governor Mike is, Madigan's the Speaker it. of the House. Yeah, that's that's most people, and that makes sense. But if you look at it, it's really um, we haven't had, again we haven't had a budget in two years. Mike Madigan's the Speaker of the House. He was first elected in 1970 to go down to Springfield to serve as state representative. He's been the speaker for 17 terms. He's the longest tenured speaker in the history of the United States of any state. Um, and he is the chairman of the Democratic Party of the state. He runs a couple of PACs. His, uh, his day job, quote unquote, is he does property tax reassessment, which is we have the highest property taxes in the country and the most complex system. Um, but so you get the point. So basically, we have a governor who wants to go in and change everything, and he's like, you're not changing anything because he's still there. That said, there's so much dysfunction in Springfield and so much that um, that people like to sit back and complain about what's going on. But what I realize is that sitting back and complaining only gets so much, um, and we really can make a difference at the local level to create a real system of good government and how the rest of the state and other municipalities should be running. So that's really a lot of what it had to go into it. And that last point, I think, was really um, the deciding factor because you look at it, there's so much uh, to hate and despise about what's going on in the state, but we can really set up uh, good examples of how the state should be run at the local level. I think that's an interesting point because a lot of times you hear people um, complaining about issues that they think are state or federal issues and they're actually local issues Sometimes there are state issues, but uh, there does seem to be an anger, but there's a lack of action from that. There's also a lack of understanding where those decisions are being made. And so I think that um, it, it's interesting once you get into uh, the weeds of it and, and you start to see who makes what decisions and, and what's causing what. So um, I think that's a really important point. What I'm curious about, absolutely, as you started your candidacy, um, when did you first decide and then when did you publicly announce so i decided so i i always had it in the back of my mind um for maybe since last september maybe um again it was always one of those things where it was kind of like as a joke in the back of my mind but i really started thinking about legitimately around september of last year um i really decided in december when um petitions were going out and i had to circulate them um, because I decided, I said, okay, let's print off some sheets. Let's go door to door, talk to some people and see what they say. Because I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I figured I'd, I'd go to some people who I kind of know who would kind of give me an honest assessment, um, about what they thought. And people were extremely receptive to my message, which, um, I wasn't necessarily expecting. I was kind of expecting people to be, oh, you're kind of young. I don't know if that's a great idea. But people really, really were enthusiastic about the idea of having having a kid who's just still at the high school running to be on there who understands what's going on. Um, so I decided in December, personally, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go completely ahead with this. Um, and I announced, I wrote an op-ed in the Daily North Shore, which is some online newspaper in the area. I think it was the end of December I released that, and I officially 
um, decided to go ahead. And so at the time, interestingly, I was still 17 years old. Um, so actually until 2016, I wouldn't have been able to circulate those petitions, but there was a law passed in, I think last July that says that if you're going to be 18 by the election, you can circulate them. Um, if you will be 18. So, which again, that wouldn't have been able to happen before. So it's interesting to see how that all works out. And just coincidentally, I was allowed to, and I didn't even, um, realize that until I was doing more research about it. Yeah. So that was my next question about the reaction of people is, is how they, how they took it, having this young person come to their door and essentially asking for I, the petition, their signature. Right. Um, but what was the general reaction from people when you're speaking in all sorts of venues? They were they all generally pretty supportive? Yeah. And again, I actually was very, very surprised because almost everybody was very supportive. There were a couple of times where I knocked on somebody's door. They were kind of hesitant. Um, but I I don't think that there was really anybody who I talked to who was who would, would, would at least tell me that they were opposed to the idea of having um, me on the board, which, again, was actually surprised to me. I talked to um, I obviously talked to parents. I talked to just community members. I talked to um other recent graduates, I talked to members of the board, teachers, they all actually really liked it because what they realized was that I'm not there to go in and make make everybody's life horrible. I'm not trying to destroy anything. I'm trying to make the school and the district run, um, run smoother and run better and just to improve it. So that's why even the teachers, the teachers for the most part were all on board for it um, because what I provide was an insight into what goes on in the classroom, how to make their lives easier and do all that, which again, um, these other people on the board have a ton of expertise and um, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're all these different things and they know what they're doing. But what, what I bring to the table is just a different perspective and a different take to complement everybody else, not to um, not take away from anybody else's, but it just provides a different way uh, to have that voice on there. What were some challenges that you faced um, as you began the campaign and ran that? Um, challenges wise, well, logistically for me, the problem with my area is that the properties in most of the places, like two acres each, so these driveways weren't possible. Nobody ever answers the door. Um, besides that, I mean, the challenges were obviously I have to deal with questions about um, about obviously my age and my experience, but the thing was that at the end of the day, when I talk to people, most people agree with this, is I'd say to them, there are seven people on the board. I don't want three or four of me on there, but having one of me or even two of me to have that perspective, uh, to have a different take and different ideas brought about to the board is, is incredibly important. It just makes sense. Again, there are people on that board who have business experience, who are attorneys, who are doctors, who know all these different things. I don't know that. I don't know everything that goes into the budget, um, and I'm not, and I'm I'll be the first to admit that, obviously. But what I do bring is a different perspective, and so that's that's really my biggest challenge, which is having people um, having those doubts. Although, again, at the end of the day, when, once I talk to them and explain to them why I'm running, um, who I am, and what um, and what I hope to to accomplish, uh, most most of the time that wasn't too much of a challenge at all. If you don't mind me asking, um, how expensive of a race was this for you to run? Well, that's all public record. So it's like 
I only about a thousand dollars. It wasn't too bad. Cause I've got science, I got literature, all that. Um, so it actually wasn't too bad. It's, it was a small district. I probably could have done it for less. I was the only one with yard signs, um, and with literature for that. So they just rely on just talking to their friends and all that. Um, so I mean, it, the thing is that with this is it can be run very cheaply, even if it was a much bigger district, it wouldn't have cost much more money at all. I still have a bunch of extra literature and I had a, a, a bunch of signs that were all over and I spread a little bit out the district because I had, the thing was when you buy a hundred compared to 50, it's not that much more money. So I had people outside the district who wanted them too. And so I was doing that. So the thing is that it wasn't that much money at all. I raised a little bit of money too, which obviously helped, but I could have done this all by myself um, and funded it all on my own. And that's the thing is that you have this and it's very, a lot of times these local raises are very minimum cost and you really can make a big difference and make a big impact. Um, so that's what people should realize that it's not, doesn't cost a hundred thousand dollars or $50,000 to go out and do this. Um, you can do this sometimes for just a couple hundred dollars and really have a big impact on what's going on. And in addition to being relatively inexpensive, if, unless you're in a, a bigger, you know, th there's all sorts of variants there. Um, but I, I also read that, um, you know, it didn't take a lot of votes for you to win. Now, granted, you still got the most votes in history. Is that that's correct? Yeah. Um, but I mean, kind of, can you reflect a little bit on on what it was like just to to get people to vote for you and then mobilizing them to actually get out there and that whole process? Yeah, so that's one thing that I think was actually a very big, um, it was somewhat difficult because the thing is that it's been well documented how diff how low the turnout rate is in America in the first place for presidential elections, um, much less the municipal elections where you have the township uh, elections were up. Where I am, it's unincorporated, so I didn't even have like a village or city, although most of the district is in a village with an uncontested president and uncontested, uh, what is it, council people or whatever the term they use. Um, and so the problem is that a lot of these races are uncontested too, so it's really difficult to drive turnout. We had the high school board race, which had four people going for three spots. And quite frankly, I know who I voted for, but it was very difficult for me. And I met each of the people a couple of times before I even decided who I wanted to vote for. So the th so turnout is a lot of times about 8% for that. So it can be very difficult to get people to not only say, uh, this is an election going on, but that I want you to go vote, do that. Do that. But with early voting and with vote by mail, it's become a lot easier. Um, I think for people to do that, for example, I drove a lot of my friends to go out um, to the polls early to make sure that they they went and did that, which was pretty awesome. Because I had a lot of friends who were 18 by November, but they didn't even care to register or go vote because they didn't, quite frankly, they didn't care. Um, but they were still willing to go out for me and to go do that, which was which was pretty good to see. But so again, part of that really is the issue is just getting people to make sure that they mobilize. Like I, I obviously had all my lists of people who said they're going to go vote, and so to try to remind them a couple days before, go to their door give them a phone call, but you realize that nobody answers landlines anymore. So it can be difficult, but it's obviously something that is incredibly important, especially when you look at how much of an impact these have. Um, I don't know how it is state by state, but in Illinois, they say that these elections, 75% um, of your property taxes are on the ballot, which is pretty incredible, especially since we have the highest property taxes in the country in Illinois. Um, so that said, people still are very apathetic 
and don't seem to really know what's going on, which again, that's part of what, why I wanted to make sure I hit on all these doors and uh, ran a, a full out campaign because people deserve to know that there's an election going on and what's on their ballot. So a lot of times I talk to people, not just about my race, I talk about the other race. I give them my honest assessment of the other races, who they should be looking at, all those different things, just because I think it's important that they that they realize that and try to be informed. Now, uh, you're a student, a full-time student, correct? And so this is a, a part-time yes. position, um, as are most local positions part-time. So that's one of the other myths is that it takes up a lot of time and you can't really balance it. Um so take us through whenever you are working on school board items, what, how heavy is that workload and um, how do you manage all of that with everything else going on? So I'll qualify that with for the, the district I'm in is incredibly, um, it's very small. There's like less than 200 kids there. It's one of the, the second smallest in the county. Um, so it's different than some of the other boards would be like the high school board, for example, which I kind of looked at at first, they have um, two full-time meetings a month, not full-time meetings, but two meetings that are a couple hours, probably seven to 10 um, a month. Plus they have committee meetings, which sometimes are once a week. Um, so that's a big time, relatively a big commitment. Although if you're in the area, it's not too bad. So here it's about once a month are the meetings. Um, I just start on Tuesday, but I've t- worked with people obviously to try to figure out um, the time commitment, how much that would be before I officially decided and all that. Um, so I don't foresee it being too much of a commitment, obviously around budget time and CBA negotiations. It might be a little bit more, um, a little more strenuous, but right now I don't, it's just going to the meeting, going to school events meeting with just trying to have some community type events to do that more of an informal role. So it really can be more than an SFO needs to be by using that informal role to try to engage the community and do all those things. Um, but so it's really not that bad in things. So next year I'll be going to the University of Illinois down in Champaign, which is about two and a half hours away. So I'll be coming back for the meeting once a month, which again, it's not, it really is not too much of a problem. They have buses coming up here all the time from there. They're like 20 bucks, $25, um, which drop off about 20 minutes from here. So I'm sure it won't be the best thing in the world, but it's definitely something that's workable. And that's what um, what I'd like to tell people is that you almost always can figure out a way to make it work unless you're going across the country to college. Um, as long as you're someone in there, you can make it work and make it so that you can serve your community while also continuing to study and do these different things. For sure. Uh, one more question about the campaign, just to kind of tie everything up. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from the whole experience of running for office as a young person? So my biggest takeaway I would say is that um, the only thing holding young people back from stepping up is young people themselves. Um, I think that what people need to realize is that you really can, and this isn't, this isn't just for young people actually really for everybody is that if you believe in something um, that you can step up and you can make a difference because Odds are, if you believe it, other people do as well. Um, I believe that every unit of government should be transparent and should have good communication with their community and understanding of um, the needs and struggles and all that of the community surrounding them. I don't think that's controversial. I don't think it matters if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat. 
I think just about everybody agrees on that. And that's what um, the same type of thing that I got uh, going door to door. And on top of that, that young people deserve a seat at the table because at the end of the day, it's our futures that are on the line. It's my generation um, who's being educated, who really is going to benefit from having these kids um, receive a great education, be able to do great things in their lives. Um, so that's really what um, what my takeaway is. And especially you see after um, after Trump and the November election, you see a lot of a lot of Democrats and those on the left really um, mobilizing to get involved and to make a difference. And I'd argue that that's awesome because people are realizing that they can have an impact. And there's been a lot of, a lot of the, um, the Democrats who ran for uh, township trustee, for example, said that they decided to step up and run, even if they're 56 years old because of, um, because of that. And I think that when you have that dynamic and that realization, people can do great things because what our government, our government runs best uh, when, it, when it's run by people who care about what they're doing and want to get involved, again, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, because most of the time we share the same interests, especially on a school board. Most, for the vast majority of the time, 95% of the time, doesn't matter what your political ideology is, we agree on the idea that young people deserve a great education, that our schools should be excelling, and that we need to be responsible to the taxpayer, and that we should be communicating with the community. Those aren't partisan. Those are basic things. And when you have people who really care about their community, that's when you're going to see great things stepping up. You don't have to have political, uh, you don't have to be in some political family or anything like that to get involved. You just have to step up yourself, even if you don't necessarily know everything about politics. It doesn't have to be, especially these local races. It doesn't matter what you think about health care reform. What matters is uh working on that with the community and the education and improving the schools. That's really what matters. And especially for young people who knows schools better than young people have been in them for 12, 16 years, whatever the number is. And so that's really what it comes down to. And that's my biggest takeaway. And after going through the school system, I wish I would have run for school board. No, but I do agree with what you say about, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm a conservative. I would love to see more young conservatives run for office, but I don't think it really matters um, what political persuasion you come from, because at the end of the day, like you said, there's a lot of commonalities there, and especially on the local level. It's easy on the federal level uh, to to name call and, and, and have all this division happen. I think it's tougher on the local level when you're living next door to these people uh, and you have to work with them and you know them and, and you know, your worlds are intertwined. So I, I think that that's a really interesting takeaway. And um, and I hope I hope people who are listening are, uh, are, are listening with the mindset of potentially doing that someday. Um, so I want to transition into some rapid fire questions, which just means that I keep the questions brief. Your answers can be as long as you want. Um, Tell okay. me, let's start with this one. Tell me one book that has influenced you the most. That's a great question. It's a tough one. If we're, we're talking back on the book, my favorite, let's say my favorite fiction. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do right now. Um, I'll say my favorite fiction book is the great Gatsby. Same. And that's, I don't know how much it's influenced me in some ways. Um, and it's just, it's a great book, and that's kind of the messages I think are really important, and there's a lot of them in there. Um, Nonfiction-wise, I don't know. I've read a lot of different books. 
They all, they, when I, so based on every book I read, I guess, it's that I always want to take away something to make myself better, right? And to make, do that. But I don't know what the biggest would be. I'll get back to you on that. That's a good question. Okay. The next <laughs> if that's one, an acceptable answer. Yeah. The next, the, the, this next variant of the question gives you room to, to have some multiple answers. Um, what are some books that if you were to give a book to someone else to inspire them or to, to get them thinking, what are some of the books that you would give away? Um, I'd say that Atlas Shrugged is definitely one. Um, I haven't read it in a while, but it's obviously something that has, regardless of what you think of objectivism and all those different ideas, they definitely has some great ideas that need to be, um, that make you think, definitely. Um, that's one of them. What else would I say? I'd say The Great Gatsby for that, too. I love The Great Gatsby. <laughs> If you can't tell, it's a great book. Okay. So I'd, I'd say that one too. So those are those are my two. And going back to the influence one, give me a list. What are just you don't have to narrow it down to one, but what are some of the ones that have influenced you? Oh, let me see. You know, one thing that I'll say, one of my favorite too is um, Moneyball by Michael Lewis. I, I love sports books. Uh, and then it's Outliers by um, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. those two. Um, I think that those two, I think that maybe those two are the two that inspire me too. I don't know. There, there's my interests are very interesting with books too, because I do like the sports route and all those statistical stuff like that. Um, what those two books really do is that they provide a different perspective and how we should be viewing the world. And so I think those are two that really, I think are incredibly important and have a huge impact um, again on how we view it because a lot of the common orthodoxies that people have are things that we shouldn't necessarily take for granted um, or we shouldn't view the same way as they have. And so I think that those two books really get to the root of that issue and really raise some very important questions. So staying on the topic of, uh, of reading of sorts, as you sift through um, all the news that happens in the world and in your state on a local level, what does your media consumption diet look like and how do you kind of filter out this stuff? You know, how do you get down to the important? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I read a ton of news. Um, what I've actually learned maybe last four months is that I'm on a couple newsletters now that just every day I get an aggregation of the news and all that. And that's really what my key has been, especially state politics. I'm on a Politico is an Illinois playbook that I read every morning. Um, that really does an awesome job of summarizing everything. And then I have Twitter alerts for Capital Facts, which also does Illinois news. And I get, I, if there's a tweet that seems interesting, I'll go open it, do all that. Um, in regards to national, actually now a lot of it's actually Facebook. I see stuff pop up there, which is might not be the best thing, but I actually think that it's not as bad as it was because I have a lot of liberals and conservatives on there and some moderates too. So it's interesting to see how that shapes what I see. Um, because I used to read, I go to Drudge every day, I go to Huffington Post, I go to Politico, The Hill, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. It was just too much going place to place. Um, so that's really, I guess, where I go. But I also read on my phone all the time to see what pops up. Wall Street Journal, I read a lot. Um, and The Hill, I'd say, is my main sources for that. But So to anybody listening, I'd say find good newsletters. I think that's what my 
takeaway would be Politico is a great national one too. So that's really what I think the best place to go is. Right on. Um, this may be a challenging question, but it's one that I, I can't remember where I heard it, but I loved it. Um, the question is, what's something you believe that a lot of people who you know do not believe? It's a very good question. Is in grand scheme of things or like local community or I'll let you go wherever you want with that. But just something that you believe that that probably a lot of people around you um, don't necessarily. Here's what I believe. Above all else, I'd say politically that I'm an individualist because I really do believe that people are good and that people should be allowed to do what they believe. Um, And I think that most people would say they agree with that, but I don't know if that's necessarily always true. Um, although in history you see times where people act poorly, do all those different things. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at people, 99% of people are good and care about other people. And so I think that's really what I would argue that not enough people believe um, and that I strongly, strongly believe. I like it. Um, What is one message if you had... Um, if you had a, a TV ad during the Super Bowl, a huge billboard on a major highway, what is one message that you would to that would fit inside of a billboard? One message that you would want to get out to people? Um, that if you believe it, you can do it. That's what I would say to people, um, and that's one thing that I think has really shaped me in seeing my last four years of high school and really my surroundings is one thing I've learned is that I don't need to wait um, to go to finish high school, to finish college, to go get a law degree, to do any of those things, to go um, make a difference in the world. Um, And I really have been lucky to have some great uh, mentors and see some great people who have really not listened to critics and not done what they're not supposed to because of their age like you just look at so many people who are willing to step up and make a difference. And you look at just even in my class at school, in my grade, I have people who have started charities and done all these different things to go help kids um, in some surrounding communities who need help with ACT tutoring and stuff like that. Um, but you, what you realize is that if you think that there's an issue, you can be part of the solution to it. You don't need to wait for somebody else to do it. So that's the message that I would send to people. My final question, just wrapping up, discussion we've had here um what's advice that you would give to someone else running to run for office i'll give the same advice as the billboard that if you believe you can run and you can win you can do it the only person stopping you is yourself and i think that's really the key to um to running a successful campaign and to realize that because you need to run you just need to do it all out. You need to know that you can do it and you can be successful. And that's really what it comes down to. But besides that, I'd say, you know, Josh DeFord, obviously he did my logo mm-hmm. right there. Great logo. Um, don't use one of those horrible logos from some website. Like all these local candidates use pay a hundred bucks and you'll get a great logo done from somebody. That's my one piece of advice. 
That's actually I, I like that advice the most because I see these local, you know, the, these posters. They're and, horrible. Is, they're so all bad. the time They're I'm just like, I see these. They're literally look like they're done on Microsoft <laughs> Word because they probably are done on Microsoft yeah. Word. I'm like, it's not that much money to get a good logo done. You know who could have used that advice was Jeb Bush. Sad that he didn't. Jeb has a great logo. Uh, okay. <laughs> Agree to disagree. The exclamation that. point. That's right. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, where, where, well, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you more and follow the updates that you have? Yeah. So, um, the best place to reach me is my Facebook page. My uh, campaign was facebook.com backslash vote Leahy. Um, so that's where you can get updates about, I'm not running a campaign now, but just my school board, how that's going and all those different things. So that's the best place to reach me. My website is vote Um, if you have any information, they'll still be up there. So that's where you can reach me anytime. Cool. Well, Jake, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Stephen. Thank you one more time to Jake for coming on the show. And thanks to all of you for listening to this show and our other shows here on the Outset Network. If you haven't already, go to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. And that's where you can find all the other shows that we offer, including Young Guns, Acerbic Review, and The Liberty with Caleb Franz. You can also find the Outset Network on social media at Outset Network virtually everywhere. And you can find me at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram. StephenPerkins.me is my personal website, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. Let's get connected. Let's be friends. Until we speak again next week, take care. God bless. Run for office. Run for office.